Grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I asked how many people remember the Voyager Interstellar mission this morning, a lot of people, and probably all the millennials, would go, huh? That sounds more like a a plot from an old black and white science fiction movie. And it sort of does, I suppose. But it was a big deal back then when it launched, and it was back in the news last week. Scientists began receiving data from the Voyager 1 that wasn't making sense. Uh, They don't understand what it's trying to say. They're working on a fix, but no one is really surprised because it was never expected to survive that long. Two spacecraft, actually, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, uh, were launched within about a month of each other in the summer of 1977. Their five-year mission was to explore the outer planets in our solar system by taking advantage of a rare once in every 175 years lineup of Neptune, Uranus, Saturn, and Jupiter. They made the news because apart from the the current glitch they're experiencing, they're still operational 45 years later. Now, if you're a Star Trek fan, that'll probably ring a bell for you because of Captain Kirk's voiceover at the beginning of every episode. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Sadly, the original series didn't make it five years before it was canceled, but it never stopped coming at us. It was always available in reruns, and even now, 50 years later, not even counting several spin-off series and and several films. So is that a coincidence? Is it a conspiracy? Nah, just my mind wandering. Today, Voyager 1 is about 14.5 billion miles away, beyond the gravitational influence of the sun. Voyager 2 is just a couple of billion miles behind, having spent a little more time exploring the planets. And while the TV Enterprise crew carried a a, a complement of 430, the real-life Voyagers each carry a a golden record, a gold-plated record. They contain sounds and images that portray the diversity of Uh, life and culture on Earth. They're intended for any intelligent uh, extraterrestrial life form that might find them. The bad news is that right now they're in empty space, and the nearest constellation in their path is 40,000 years away. What would you put on those records? What would you want to tell an alien species about ourselves if there really is anyone else out there? Well, the records contain over 1,500 images Uh, Many are just of pictures of people doing normal everyday things, Uh, pictures of animals, traffic, buildings, greetings in 55 different languages, music, including the song of the humpback whales, and Beethoven, (laughs) and, uh, well, some other stuff. Chuck Berry's on there, too. You know, uh, also have the sound of the surf and the rain, and the wind. And if it really takes 40,000 years to be discovered, we're going to be long gone. And maybe our world will be too. But it'll be our legacy. The, the story of the kinds of things we did, the kinds of things we heard, and the kinds of things we wanted to be remembered for. You know, the sound of wind and people speaking in many languages play an important role on Pentecost Sunday. When Jesus left this word, he bequeathed us with a legacy. A legacy to his followers. That legacy was the Holy Spirit. It would 
comfort them, it would guide them, it would counsel them, it would remind them, it would empower them to be all that God expected them to be, all he had called them to be. Today, Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate that legacy, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. The story is one of the most famous in all the scriptures. A growing number of Jesus' followers, about 120 at this point, were gathered together, probably in prayer, as would have been the custom of the early church back then. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had directed them. One of the last things the Lord had told his disciples before he ascended back into heaven was that they were to wait for it because they were going to be his witnesses to the world. I can't imagine a more frightening prospect than, than, than that must have been. You know, there, there was no way they could have felt prepared for such a huge responsibility. So I can imagine they were hoping for something very, very, very big to happen, uh, like me at my ordination years ago, hoping for something very, very big to happen. Suddenly the Bible tells us there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. It doesn't say that an actual wind blew through, one that could, you know, knock them out of their chairs, but uh, it was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. If you've ever been huddled in a basement in the Midwest during a, you know, while, while a tornado uh, races past, uh, you know. People always say they sound like freight trains, and they do. Uh, so maybe like that. And it came right through the house. And even more amazing than that, strange tongues of fire appeared. Uh, resting on their heads. Not like the burning bush in Moses' Sinai encounter with God. That bush was burning with real fire. Uh, it just didn't burn up. No, this was tongues as of fire, according to Luke. And the word he uses here is a word that's usually translated like. So it'd be tongues like fire. I wonder, if, as it was happening, if they're remembering the words of John the Baptist. He had said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's in Matthew 3.11. And suddenly they began speaking in languages they'd never spoken before. It's like, like a scene right out of a Hollywood film, isn't it? This all happened in Jerusalem, where Jews from all over the world had come to for, gather for the, the harvest festival, a celebration where each person would bring a gift to God, a, a portion of the blessings that God had bestowed on them. All daily work was suspended. It was a day set aside to worship and praise God, and it drew huge crowds. Now, as the Spirit came upon the disciples, this prayer meeting moved outside into public, where people could hear what was going on, um, uh, hear about uh, the disciples talking about God and his mighty works, each one in their own language. They were amazed. They're also baffled. They said, aren't these Galileans? You know, how is this possible? The Galileans were sort of the, the country folks back in those days, looked upon by the people of wealth and power in Jerusalem as kind of like the hicks, the ones likely to have wagons up on blocks in their front yards. And apparently they were easy to pick out by their accents. And so it was only natural that some of those who saw and heard this thought the disciples had simply had too much to drink, celebrating their version of the Beaujolais Nouveau, maybe the, the traditional first wine of the harvest. It was the harvest festival after all. But it was only 9 o'clock in the morning, and they hadn't been drinking. Scripture says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up to speak in the disciples' defense, and he let loose with such a powerful sermon that by the time he was finished, over 3,000 people had turned to Christ that day. 3,000 people, and this that one day alone. Now, wouldn't it be great to see that kind of fire in the church once again? 
You know, if the spirit ever blew through here like that, I wonder if we'd even know what to do with it all. And if it ever looked like your hair was on fire, there'd be ushers there in seconds with fire extinguishers. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, the spirit is at work here, and in a, in a great way, a big way. And we could never be the great family of God we are in this place without it. But there's a far bigger challenge here than just being a happy family. The Christian church at large in all its 2,000 years of existence uh, has rarely faced a more Christ-resistant culture. Every denomination struggles with ever-decreasing worship attendance and, frankly, a lack of mission focus. That means that they're just there. And if people stumble across them, well, that's okay, that's fine. And if they don't, well, oh well. In the meantime, their goal is to just maintain. But you're not going to find maintaining on a list of the gifts of the Spirit. I was talking to a young teller at my bank earlier this week, and uh, she asked if I had any plans for the weekend. I told her that well, I work weekends. Oh, and she was firing, when she was uh, feeling sorry for me, I said, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and she said, well, she'd just gone back to, to church for the first time in years. She used to go, you know, her parents used to take her, and then she got away like people do, and had been away for a long time. But she said, it's been bothering me lately. It just seemed like I should be back. And so she did go back, and she loved it. She said it was great. That's the work of the Spirit. The church should be an energizing, exciting place to be. And if they're not, if churches aren't, it's not because the Spirit doesn't want them to be. There are far too many churches today and far too many Christians who are as sedate as President Calvin Coolidge was supposed to have been. It said that Coolidge kept himself so under control that when his death was made public, someone joked, how can they tell? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the death knell of too many congregations, doesn't it? You know, they won't be missed because they haven't been noticed. They won't be missed because they haven't been noticed. The church was born of fire and excitement, and it ought to be the most exciting place in the community today. You know, not wild and crazy where people drop like flies at the slap of a, a pastor or, or roll on the ground in hysterics, but they ought to be places where visitors can walk in and say to themselves, something special is going on here. I can see it. I can feel it. And when they take a closer look, they should be able to discover how right they were. The church exists to make a difference in people's lives and in the world. The disciples at first Pentecost weren't babbling in some angelic language. They were speaking real languages that real people there that day could understand without a translator. You know, they spoke to the Jews gathered in Jerusalem for this festival from all over the world. They were enabled to do it in a way that even crossed language barriers. Jew and Gentile, non-Jew alike, heard the gospel message. They heard that Christ had come to save them, all of them. Successful congregations avoid at all costs somehow communicating that, that we're here for you, but not for you. So the better we communicate our message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and what we say and how we say it and what we do and how we do it, the more people we can reach. Miscommunication can be death. There were no linguists on hand that first Christian Pentecost to do the translating, no one to bring order out of what it must have first seemed like chaos. No one except the Holy Spirit. And then the wonder of it all rumbled through the crowd. You know, how is it that, that we're all hearing this in our own language? Aren't these guys Galileans? Not only did they understand what was being said, the Spirit made sure that Peter's message of God's grace in Christ came through loud and clear. All this praising of God in various languages was enabled by the Holy Spirit, but it was 
Peter who was enabled to put it all into the context of God's grace, his undeserved love and mercy. Jew and Gentile alike heard about God's mighty works and his love for all people, love that doesn't see differences and overcomes barriers. We have some real barriers to get through today ourselves, cultural barriers, emotional barriers, relational barriers, educational barriers, political barriers, all the ways people have been shaped and, and influenced by a largely unbelieving world. But still we're called as the people of God to communicate the message of God's love to others, whatever it takes, because people still need, still need to hear it. It's life-changing, life-saving good news. The Holy Spirit's power transcends barriers. You know, we've been tasked with reaching second and even third generations of people who may not have any church experience at all or may feel no need for a relationship with God in their lives. Where do we start? Well, we do it just like Peter did. And we leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. You know, we start with a story, our story, which is your story. One of the most powerful methods of interpreting what the good news of God's unconditional love in Christ means in real time, in real life, to real people is simply sharing what it already means to you. You know, Jesus loved to tell stories. They were called parables, and they caught and held people's attention because they could relate to them, and they were interesting. Telling a story, especially your story, uh, it doesn't take any special theological training, just a willingness you know, a willingness that God's Spirit wants to put in your heart this morning. You know, people are more than willing to get to know you. You're interesting. Your stories are interesting. This place is filled with interesting people, I'm telling you. It really is. And so maybe only through you will somebody else be willing to give Christ a look. Just tell them how your relationship with Jesus has made a difference. Probably in one or more of these ways. I have this almost unexplainable real peace that stays with me even when everything is going wrong. I'm less judgmental and more able to forgive. I know a joy and contentment in my life I never knew before. I'm embarrassed about it, but my natural inclination has always been to think only of myself. But because of Christ, I can no longer ignore the needs of others. The guilt I used to live with has been taken away. Its heavy weight is gone. I've changed my ringtone to, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> or maybe this one. You know, Christ has given my life purpose and hope for the future I never knew before. Even the thought of my own death holds no fear for me because there's so much more life waiting for me on the other side of death. None of these things is going to guarantee that someone will come to saving faith but hearing what Jesus means to you has far greater impact on someone than, than any uh, Sunday school lesson or the most articulate sermon that's ever been preached on the faith. And the Spirit will work with that. It's effective because no one can deny your personal experience. Realistically, all they can say is that they've never had a similar one. And when they do, you can encourage them to give Christ a try and see for themselves. There's not a person alive who doesn't have a hunger for meaning or peace or hope in their life, even if they never talk about it. But the vast majority of them, the two-thirds of the world who don't know Jesus and his peace yet, they're still looking. At least for some of them, you know, interpreting the, the faith in the context of your own life can make the difference uh, whether or not they even turn to Jesus. It really can. You know, in any U.S. president's 
time in the White House, uh, maybe the whole time for a lot of them, but uh, certainly in their final years, they begin to think about their legacy, don't they? What history is going to remember them for? And I can understand that, and sometimes uh, good things happen as a result. But whether or not we work at it uh, consciously, we'll all leave a legacy ourselves. We'll all be remembered for the things we did or things we failed to do, for what we accomplished or maybe what was accomplished through us. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter of the Bible, is all about the legacies of some of God's people. In this case, people who will always be remembered for their great faith, uh, often in the face of great obstacles. We don't really need to be famous in the eyes of men to make a lasting difference. You know, we make a lasting difference when we allow the Holy Spirit to use us to make a lasting difference in the lives of others. And that happens each time we tell our own faith story. Every time. And you know what? In God's eyes, that'll make you famous to him. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.